Section 19 of The Coming Race. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Mary Rohde. The Coming Race by Edward George Bulwer Lytton. Chapter 26. After the conversation with Z just recorded, I fell into a profound melancholy. The curious interest with which I had hitherto examined the life and habits of this marvellous community was at an end. I could not banish from my mind the consciousness that I was among a people who, however kind and courteous, could destroy me at any moment without scruple or compunction. The virtuous and peaceful life of the people, which, while new to me, had seemed so wholly a contrast to the contentions, the passions, the vices of the upper world, now began to oppress me with a sense of dullness and monotony. Even the serene tranquillity of the lustrous air preyed on my spirits. I longed for a change, even to winter, or storm, or darkness. I began to feel that whatever our dreams of perfectibility, our restless aspirations towards a better and higher and calmer sphere of being, we, the mortals of the upper world, are not trained or fitted to enjoy for long the very happiness of which we dream or to which we aspire. Now, in this social state of the Vrilia, it was singular to mark how it contrived to unite and to harmonize into one system nearly all the objects which the various philosophers of the upper world have placed before human hopes as the ideals of a utopian future. It was a state in which war, with all its calamities, was deemed impossible, a state in which the freedom of all and each was secured to the uttermost degree, without one of those animosities which make freedom in the upper world depend on the perpetual strife of hostile parties. Here the corruption which debases democracies was as unknown as the discontents which undermine the thrones of monarchies. Equality here was not a name, it was a reality. Riches were not persecuted, because they were not envied. Here those problems connected with the labors of a working class, hitherto insoluble above ground, and above ground conducing to such bitterness between classes, were solved by a process the simplest. A distinct and separate working class was dispensed with altogether. Mechanical inventions, constructed on the principles that baffled my research to ascertain, worked by an agency infinitely more powerful and infinitely more easy of management than aught we have yet extracted from electricity or steam, with the aid of children whose strength was never overtasked, but who loved their employment as sport and pastime, sufficed to create a public wealth so devoted to the general use that not a grumbler was ever heard of. The vices that wrought our cities here had no footing. Amusements abounded, but they were all innocent. No merry-makings conduced to intoxication, to riot, to disease. 
love existed and was ardent in pursuit but its object once secured was faithful the adulterer the profligate the harlot were phenomena so unknown in this commonwealth that even to find the words by which they were designated one would have had to search throughout an obsolete literature composed thousands of years before they who have been students of theoretical philosophies above ground know that all these strange departures from civilized life do but realize ideas which have been broached canvassed ridiculed contested for sometimes partially tried and still put forth in fantastic books but have never come to practical result nor were these all the steps towards theoretical perfectibility which this community had made it had been the sober belief of descartes that the life of man could be prolonged not indeed on this earth to eternal duration but to what he called the age of the patriarchs and modestly defined to be from a hundred to a hundred and fifty years average length well even this dream of sages was here fulfilled nay more than fulfilled for the vigour of middle life was preserved even after the term of a century was passed with this longevity was combined a greater blessing than itself that of continuous health such diseases as befell the race were removed with ease by scientific applications of that agency life-giving as life-destroying which is inherent in vril even this idea is not unknown above ground though it has generally been confined to enthusiasts or charlatans and emanates from confused notions about mesmerism odic forces etc passing by such trivial contrivances as wings which every schoolboy knows has been tried and found wanting from the mythical or prehistorical period i proceed to that very delicate question urged of late as essential to the perfect happiness of our human species by the two most disturbing and potential influences on upper ground society womankind and philosophy i mean the rights of women now it is allowed by jurisprudists that it is idle to talk of rights where there are not corresponding powers to enforce them and above ground for some reason or other man in his physical force in the use of weapons offensive and defensive when it come to positive personal contest can as a rule of general application master women but among this people there can be no doubt about the rights of women because as i have before said the gi physically speaking is bigger and stronger than the on and her will being also more resolute than his and will being essential to the direction of the real force she can bring to bear upon him more potently than he on herself the mystical agency which art can extract from the occult properties of nature therefore all that our female philosophers above ground contend for as to rights of women is conceded as a matter of course in this happy commonwealth 
Besides such physical powers, the Jaye have, at least in youth, a keen desire for accomplishments and learning which exceeds that of the male, and thus they are the scholars, the professors, the learning portion, in short, of the community. Of course, in this state of society the female establishes, as I have shown, her most valued privilege, that of choosing and courting her wedding partner. Without that privilege she would despise all the others. Now, above ground, we should not unreasonably apprehend that a female, thus potent and thus privileged, when she had fairly hunted us down and married us, would be very imperious and tyrannical. Not so with the Jaye. Once married, the wings once suspended, and more amiable, complacent, docile mates, more sympathetic, more sinking their loftier capacities into the study of their husband's comparatively frivolous tastes and whims. No poet could conceive in his visions of conjugal bliss. Lastly, among the more important characteristics of the Vrilya, as distinguished from our mankind, lastly and most important on the bearings of their life and the peace of their commonwealths, is their universal agreement in the existence of a merciful, beneficent deity, and of a future world to the duration of which a century or two are moments too brief to waste upon thoughts of fame and power and avarice. While with that agreement is combined another, namely, since they can know nothing as to the nature of that deity beyond the fact of his supreme goodness, nor of that future world beyond the fact of its felicitous existence, so their reason forbids all angry disputes on insoluble questions. Thus they secure for that state in the bowels of the earth what no community ever secured under the light of the stars. All the blessings and consolations of a religion, without any of the evils and calamities which are engendered by strife between one religion and another. It would be, then, utterly impossible to deny that the state of existence among the Vrilya is thus, as a whole, immeasurably more felicitous than that of superterrestrial races, and, realizing the dreams of our most sanguine philanthropists, almost approaches to a poet's conception of some angelical order. And yet, if you would take a thousand of the best and most philosophical human beings you could find in London, Paris, Berlin, New York, or even Boston, and place them as citizens in the beatified community, my belief is that in less than a year they would either die of ennui or attempt some revolution by which they would militate against the good of the community, and be burnt into cinders at the request of the tour. Certainly I have no desire to insinuate, through the medium of this narrative, any ignorant disparagement of the race to which I belong. I have, on the contrary, endeavoured to make it clear that the principles which regulate the social system of the Vrilya 
forbid them to produce those individual examples of human greatness which adorn the annals of the upper world where there are no wars there can be no hannibal no washington no jackson no sheridan where states are so happy that they fear no danger and desire no change they cannot give birth to a demosthenes a webster a sumner a wendell holmes or a butler and where a society attains to a moral standard in which there are no crimes and no sorrows from which tragedy can extract its alignment of pity and sorrow no salient vices or follies on which comedy can lavish its mirthful satire it has lost the chance of producing a shakespeare or a moliere or a mrs beecher stowe but if i have no desire to disparage my fellow-men above ground in showing how much the motives that impel the energies and ambition of individuals in a society of contest and struggle become dormant or annulled in a society which aims at securing for the aggregate the calm and innocent felicity which we presume to be the lot of beautified immortals neither on the other hand have i the wish to represent the commonwealths of the vril-ya as an ideal form of political society to the attainment of which our own efforts of reform should be directed on the contrary it is because we have so combined throughout the series of ages the elements which compose human character that it would be utterly impossible for us to adopt the modes of life or to reconcile our passions to the modes of thought among the vril-ya that i arrive at the conviction that this people though originally not only of our human race but as seems to me clear by the roots of their language descended from the same ancestors as the great aryan family from which in varied streams has flowed the dominant civilization of the world and having according to their myths and their history passed through phases of society familiar to ourselves had yet now developed into a distinct species with which it was impossible that any community in the upper world could amalgamate and that if they ever emerged from these nether recesses into the light of day they would according to their own traditional persuasions of their ultimate destiny destroy and replace our existent varieties of man it may indeed be said since more than one gi could be found to conceive a partiality for so ordinary a type of our superterrestrial race as myself that even if the vril-ya did appear above ground we might be saved from extermination by intermixture of race but this is too sanguine a belief instances of such mesalliance would be as rare as those of intermarriage between the anglo-saxon emigrants and the red indians nor would time be allowed for the operation of familiar intercourse the vril-ya on emerging induced by the charm of a sunlit heaven to form their settlements above ground would commence at once to work on destruction seize upon the territories already cultivated and clear off without scruple all the inhabitants who resisted that invasion 
and considering their contempt for the institutions of Kum Posh or popular government, and the pugnacious valor of my beloved countrymen, I believe that if the Vrilia first appeared in free America, as being the choicest portion of the habitable earth they would doubtless be induced to do, and said, This quarter of the globe we take, citizens of a Kumposh, make way for the development of speeches in the Vrilia. My brave compatriots would show fight, and not a soul of them would be left in this life to rally round the stars and stripes at the end of a week. I now saw but little of Z, save at meals, when the family assembled, and she was then reserved and silent. My apprehensions of danger from an affection I had so little encouraged or deserved, therefore, now faded away, but my dejection continued to increase. I pined for escape to the upper world, but I racked my brains in vain for any means to effect it. I was never permitted to wander forth alone, so that I could not even visit the spot on which I had alighted, and see if it were possible to reascend to the mine. Nor even in the silent hours, when the household was locked in sleep, could I have let myself down from the lofty floor in which my apartment was placed. I knew not how to command the automata who stood mockingly at my back beside the wall, nor could I ascertain the springs by which were set in movement the platforms that supplied the place of stairs. The knowledge how to avail myself of these contrivances had been purposely withheld from me. Oh, that I could but have learnt the use of wings, so freely here at the service of every infant! Then I might have escaped from the casement, regained the rocks, and buoyed myself aloft, through the chasm of which the perpendicular sides forbade place of human footing. End of chapter 26